Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A new statewide public health order means that starting next month, all healthcare workers and state employees will be required to provide proof of a COVID vaccination to their employers. If they don't provide that proof, they'll have to get regularly tested. KQED's Laura Clivens has more. These employees, including both public and private health care workers, must show proof of vaccination with a physical card or a code from the California Department of Public Health. If workers can't or won't, they'll have to get tested one to two times per week and wear a mask. Governor Gavin Newsom. We're exhausted by the politicalization of this pandemic, and it needs to be called out. It's a choice to live with this virus. You don't have a choice to go out and drink and drive and put everybody else's lives at risk. This also applies to workers in jails, nursing homes, homeless shelters, dentists' offices, and other private businesses. Here's Newsom again. And we hope this example of public and private leadership as it relates to vaccine verifications and or mandated testing will lead to others to replicate this example in the private sector. In the past, employees were allowed to simply say whether they were or were not vaccinated. For The California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. The new rules will affect about 246,000 state employees alone, and private employers outside of health care are being encouraged to adopt similar standards. And a terrible incident in the Central Valley. A family and a Kern County Sheriff's deputy are dead following a shooting in the city of Wasco over the weekend. Valley Public Radio Sarith Hawk reports. The standoff Sunday lasted hours and ended when authorities say the armed suspect climbed the roof of the Wasco home and was shot and killed. Five people died, including a mother and her two sons, in addition to the suspect. Sheriff Donnie Youngblood got emotional during a news conference Monday as he spoke about notifying the family of his colleague, 35-year-old Deputy Philip Compass, who sustained fatal injuries during the confrontation. I can tell you they're devastated, as we are. Uh, this is um, was a star. Local deputies answered a call on Sunday in response to shots fired in a Wasco home. Compass was one of the SWAT team members called in to assist the officers after the situation escalated. Deputy Philip Compass and Deputy Desander Guerrero were hit by the suspect's rounds, and two other deputies were wounded by shrapnel. Compass died later at the hospital. Deputy Guerrero has since been released. As of Monday evening, the suspect was believed to be the father of the family killed in the home. Investigators are looking into a restraining order issued against the suspect to better understand how he obtained firearms under the order. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. 
Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. It's become a seasonal tradition in California. Homes burn down, and then we hear stories of resilience. Fire victims promising to rebuild and to recover. But once the smoke clears, they learn that can be a very difficult process. One that can take years, and that's if they can even afford to stick it out. From KCRW in Santa Monica, Kaylee Wells reports on those who've stayed in burned areas and those who've left. Kat Merrick thought she'd be back home by now. She lost her Ventura home in the 2017 Thomas Fire, the largest fire in Southern California history. She says it's still hard to talk about almost four years later. It was just devastating. You're in shock and not only knowing that your house is gone, but that I would say over 100 friends that I know lost everything as well that night. Merrick sent in her building plans three years ago and is still waiting on Ventura County to approve them. And while she waits, she's living out of a mobile home on her property. But even that took two and a half years to get approved. Before that, she was in an RV. Merrick says she'll end up paying for a lot of her house out of pocket because she, like so many others, was underinsured. That can happen if you buy a property and you don't update the insurance policy as the property value goes up. So if you bought a home for $500,000 and decades later it burns down and is worth a million, you're still insured for a $500,000 home. It's been a, a nightmare. And I hear stories from so many others that are in the same boat we are, and they're just, some have given up. And if you're renting, giving up can sometimes feel like the only option. That is the difficult choice that Desiree McAleer faced after the Valley Fire in 2015 up in Northern California. For my own healing, I needed to move. And I tell people it's like an abusive situation. So if you're in an abusive relationship, you leave that abusive relationship. The Valley Fire moved so fast, McAleer never got an evacuation notice. Her neighbor didn't get out in time and died. Her employer owned the home and the property insurance gave her a few thousand for everything she lost inside the home. But she jumped from couch to couch for a year before she picked up her life and moved to Southern California. Dave McLaughlin lives in Malibu Lake, the farthest west corner of L.A. County, which was devastated by the 2018 Woolsey Fire. Sitting on the porch of his home that did survive, he says of the roughly 200 homes around Malibu Lake, 55 burned. I don't think one has been fully rebuilt yet. I think there's, uh, I'm looking around the lake right now, counting one, two, three, four down the lakeside, five, probably seven underway, seven of those 55. For homeowners like Kat Merrick back in Ventura, even if she's living in a burn scar, it's worth the rebuild. You can see the ocean. 
Um, and also then turn your the other direction and you're looking at the topotopus in the evening as the sun sets, you know. And as we've been told by friends that are in the real estate business, you'll never find a property like that again in, in Ventura County. You just won't. You won't. And now that more people can work remotely, more people are moving into these fire-prone areas. Wildfire is a bigger part of life for Californians than it's ever been. But even as the state gets drier and the chance of wildfire rises, some Californians will continue to reconstruct and roll the dice again. For The California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. And that's The California Report for Tuesday, July 27th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and talk tomorrow. Support for The California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing defendable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.Dance slash Downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.